Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Orange Unified last week became the latest district to adopt a parental notification policy that requires school officials to tell parents if their child identifies as transgender. The school board approved the change even after the state sued Chino Valley Unified in San Bernardino County over a similar policy. Attorney General Rob Bonta, in announcing that lawsuit, called the forced outing of transgender and gender nonconforming students discriminatory. It has already harmed and continues to threaten their mental, emotional, and physical well-being. We look at the impact of school boards adopting these transgender parental notification policies after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A San Bernardino Superior Court judge has temporarily blocked Chino Valley Unified's policy requiring schools to notify parents when students identify by a different pronoun or name or use facilities or participate in a program different from the sex on their official records. Still, several other districts across the state in Riverside, Temecula, Shasta, and now Rockland and Orange have adopted similar parental notification rules, even as Chino Valley is accused by the state of targeting its transgender students and violating their privacy rights. CalMatters' Carolyn Jones and the Daily Bulletin's Jordan Darling have been following the story closely, and they join me now. Welcome to Forum, Jordan. Thank you so much. And also thanks for joining us, Carolyn. Thank you. So, Carolyn, let me start with you. We're at at least six districts, I think, just in the last couple of months, implementing transgender parental notification mandates. What are school boards that are approving these policies saying about why they're implementing them? They're saying that this is something that parents want. They want to know what's going on with their children and that the state um, needs to be more proactive on this. And since the state hasn't been in their eyes, that they are taking direct action themselves. And parents would be notified even if teachers, school officials don't have the student's permission. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, right now, California has a policy that if a student doesn't want their parents to know about their gender identity then the school will not inform the parents. It's up to the student to decide. This would override that and make the teachers inform the parents regardless of what the student says. And Jordan, I'm curious. You've talked with students at Chino Valley Unified, gender nonconforming students like Max Ibarra. What have they told you about the impact of these parental notification policies being approved by the school board, even if they're on hold? Yeah, uh, so I actually interviewed Max the day after the policy was passed on July 20th. 
And the consensus that I understand from these students is they feel like their school district doesn't care about them. They've come to a point where, like, Chino Valley has passed two policies that are targeting LGBTQ students. And that's very frustrating for students who identify with these groups where they feel they're not seen, they're not heard by their school board, and they're not protected either. And what have you heard from parents? Parents are really are really split. I've been able to speak with parents on both sides of the issue. And where uh, half of parents feel like the policy is actually really dangerous and creates a sense of distrust between students and teachers. And other parents feel like they have a right to be involved. And a lot of the times they're citing suicide rates in LGBTQ, uh, specifically in the trans community, where uh, they feel that if your child is with uh, suicide rates so high, suicide rates so high in this minority group, that parents have a right to be involved in order to protect their students. And while a lot of times it gets cited that uh, that one of the biggest things is outing a child before they're ready if they're in an unsafe home, these parents have decided or decided the strong word. These parents feel that you can't say that all parents are a danger to their students. It's really dangerous to call parents a danger in their opinion. So they're hoping they're looking to be more involved. And Carolyn, has your reporting sound found similar things to Jordan's? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on, on the one hand, you have some parents saying, you know, I, I want to support my child and I have a right to know what's going on. And, and this could help me support my child through perhaps, you know, a difficult uh, transition. On the other hand, there's been a surveys. Um, I think the U.S. Trans Survey very recently found that I think about 10% of trans people said that they had been subject to abuse or violence from a family member who did not approve of their identity. And so there's kind of two, two sides of the coin there. Well, I want to bring into the conversation now Robert Marks, Assistant Professor of Child and Adolescent Development at San Jose State University. Robert, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. You know, what a dream come true. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you coming on because I understand that your research really has focused on trans and gender expansive young people. And I'm curious what you can tell us about the role that school can play for them. What a great question. So uh, my research has focused for the last now, you know, almost 10 years on uh, trans and gender expansive young people and the supports that they need in their families, schools, and communities. And what we know from research is that schools can be an amazing, inclusive, safe, warm, and supportive environment for young people to grow, to learn, and to better understand their own gender identity and sexual orientation. And so Research has shown that when students are able to find a supportive adult in a school, and that could be a teacher, that could be a school counselor, that could be a school nurse, that could be an administrator, that could be a custodian. When students are able to find a trusted adult that they can share with, that they can kind of work through and think through and, and dream through their gender identity with, they are more likely to continue to attend school. They are more likely to live well-adjusted, happy lives. They're less likely to experience depressive and uh, anxiety symptoms. So we know that schools can be a great place for trans and gender expansive young people when schools are allowed to be a great place for 
trans and gender expensive young people. And what, my, why might a trans or gender expensive young person go to a teacher or school official before going to their parents? Great question. There are a number of different reasons. Uh, we're lucky in California, most people within a school building have been through training, have literally gone to school and devoted their lives to supporting and nurturing and caring for children. Th that is not true of all parents. And so for some young people, they may see a teacher or a school counselor as a trusted adult. They may have received signals from that teacher or school counselor or administrator that they are a trusted adult, signals that their parents may not be giving them. And so some young people may, for example, be in a classroom where a teacher reads a book that indicates that gender is expansive. And a student might think, oh, that kind of resonates with me. And then it becomes natural for that student to talk to that teacher in a way that it might feel a little less safe or a little riskier for these young people to talk to their parents. Well, I want to invite listeners to join the conversation. Are you trans or gender nonconforming? Is your kid, how are you reacting to school districts starting to adopt these parental notification policies? What are your questions about them or other policies aimed at LGBTQ plus youth in public schools? Have you seen pushes for similar policies in your local school district? Or have you attended school board meetings recently and, and noticed any kind of shift in terms of what's being talked about in recent years? You can email forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Discord at KQED Forum. Call us at 866-733-6786. Beth tweets, I consider myself moderately conservative, and I consider it repugnant that anyone of any age would be outed against their will. Maybe I am naive, but I think most parents know in some way or other if their child is LGBTQ. And another listener writes, it is very strange that public schools would deliberately promote keeping secrets from parents. It's a terrible precedent. In any other instance, secret keeping is a big red flag. If family members are genuinely a threat, then mandated reporting should be triggered. Carolyn, the Chino Valley, I think, communications person said that there are safeguards for kids who may be concerned that if they, if their parents are notified or family members are notified that they could face harm. What did they tell you? That's right. Teachers are mandated reporters, and that hasn't changed. Um, and so if a student were to say, you know, I'm, I'm concerned, I don't, I, you know, I think I might be in danger, I think my parents might hurt me because of this, then the teacher would report that to law enforcement or social services, and there would be a, you know, essentially an investigation done. And they, the district would not inform the parents in that case of the student's gender identity. But, you know, when the investigation is done, they still might. So that is, so the district says that we already have these protections in place to protect students. And so the fact that we're putting students in danger is just not an issue. What are you, is your reaction to that, Robert Marks? Uh, hi. So my reaction to that is, in some ways, I, I understand what these districts are trying to do as misguided and short-sighted as they may be. But based on what we know about CPS, uh, Child Protective Services, based on what we know about how these kind of procedures go, I would be reluctant to place all of my trust that a young person would not be in, a, in an abusive situation with CPS. Moreover, it feels like these safeguards are in place to kind of stop a problem that the school board is trying to create in the first place. There's no need to out a student to their parents 
So there is no need for these additional safeguards to prevent outing to some parents, but not all parents. We should not be in the practice of disclosing young people's gender identity or sexual orientation against their will. Young people have rights and their rights are being infringed when they are outed against their will. Catherine writes on Instagram, my daughter is a grade school teacher in Petaluma, and I hope that people understand the stress that this puts on the parent-teacher relationship. She honors the child's right to privacy and does not discuss this issue with any parents. We feel that this is a true medical and psychological issue to be supported by everyone. Jordan, I'm curious what you heard from teachers at Chino Valley. Yeah, I was able to speak with the president of Associated Chino Teachers, Brenda Walker, several times. And it is an undue burden placed on teachers and a strain on the teacher-student relationship. It's like Robert said, kids look for a safe place to talk about when they feel like they can't talk at home. And teachers can indicate that they are a person to talk to. So if you take that away from students and you create that distrust, it's very stressful on that relationship. And then the burden on teachers to mandate reporting something they may not feel comfortable with. It's uh, the teachers feel like it's an undue burden, which has been really, really sad to see uh, how teachers feel. And then uh, on the flip side of that, Chino Valley never, Chino Valley School Board and the Teachers Association ha- didn't have a meeting to figure out how to implement this policy in a way that made sense. Or even if what would happen to teachers if they chose not to adhere to the policy. Hmm. We're talking with Jordan Darling, city reporter for Inland Valley Daily Bulletin. Carolyn Jones, she's K-12 education reporter for Cal Matters. Robert Marks, their assistant professor of child and adolescent development at San Jose State University. We'll have more with them and with you after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found you. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Some California school districts are mandating their employees inform parents if their children identify as transgender, change their gender identity or pronouns. The state is suing the first district to do this, Chino Valley Unified in Southern California, saying it violates state law and can put trans youth at risk of harm. We're learning more with Carolyn Jones, K-12 education reporter for Cal Matters, Jordan Darling, city reporter for Inland Valley Daily Bulletin, Robert Marks, assistant professor of child and adolescent development at San Jose State University, 
and with you, our listeners. Are you trans or gender nonconforming? Is your child? How are you reacting to this? What are your questions about parental notification policies or other policies aimed at LGBTQ youth in public schools? Have you seen pushes for similar policies at your local school district? Or are you a parent who attends school board meetings and noticed a shift in what is being discussed in recent years, maybe even in tone or tenor? You can call us at 866-733-6786, email forum at kqed.org, or find us on our social channels at KQED Forum. Let me go to caller Rebecca in Berkeley. Hi, Rebecca. You're on. Hi. Thank you so much for discussing this today. This is so important to me and my family. Um, I I moved to California from the Southeast as a young adult, and um, just because I didn't feel as comfortable in a more conservative environment, um, even as a a cisgender straight person, um, I now have uh, one of my children um, came out as trans a few years ago. And forgive me, you can hear this shaking in my voice. It's still Mm -hmm. a little hard. Um, We worked very hard for the last few years to help my son come to grips with with his identity, with with his physical body, um, to help him get the care that he needs um, medically, um, you know, psychologically, uh, to help him to transition, to change his name, all of these things. And we live in a very liberal place now, which is great. And the community is generally supportive. Um, but I think often about, and we've talked about as a family, what would have happened if my child had been born in the place where I grew up, um, where my family is still struggling, you know, years later to get the name right, to mm-hmm. <laughs> to understand, you know, legally this person is now a completely different identity than they were. You can't use the old one. That's not who they are anymore. Um, this my son doesn't look like he did before. He looks completely like a boy. He is a boy. Um, and it's so hard that um, so many people don't respect that someone who's a teenager can fully understand who they are at a young age, and they can be very clear-minded about it. They've, they can be logical and methodical and careful. They know exactly what they're doing. This is not a trend. It's not something that's taken lightly. Um, I've been very fortunate to find a network of other parents uh, online in several places where, where we're able to help each other in different states, different countries. And it's so hard hearing about what these families are having to go through in other states. It sounds like The Handmaid's Tale. They're trying to figure out how do I get my child medication that they need? How do I get access to surgery? Because my child is going to be suicidal if we can't help them. Um, be able to function in the way that they need to function. So I'm, I'm really grateful that you're having this conversation. This is not something to be taken lightly. Well, Rebecca, I'm really grateful for you for sharing your story and telling us about your son. And I'm also so glad that you found a network. Robert, I am really glad to hear Rebecca say that she's or I shouldn't assume that Rebecca's glad that we're having this conversation. But I guess the question, because I, I have wondered, right, even talking about this, even these school board meetings that are going on or these discussions that are going on more broadly across the state or across the country, even if these policies are not being implemented in schools, I imagine that they have an effect. Absolutely. Uh, First, Rebecca, thank you so much for, for calling in and for the love and care and concern that you were showing to your son. It is exactly what he needs and it is so, so beautiful to hear about. Um, Mina, your point is so well raised. 
the fact that some of these policies may be enacted and then there's an injunction or they may be debated but not actually enacted, um, we still need to be very attentive to the ways that these policies, whether they're enacted or not, impact young people and their families. So there are young people across the state who are hearing their identities being debated, who are hearing their right to live flourishing, fulfilling, beautiful lives being discussed as if they're not people, as if they don't matter, as if their identities aren't valid. And that does have lasting impacts. We know that even when these policies are not enacted, students and young people in areas where these policies are discussed have elevated rates of anxiety and depression. And of course, that stands to reason. If you're living in a place where lots of the discussion is not about how to love and support you, but rather is about whether you're real and whether you're posing a threat to the other quote unquote normal kids around you, of course you're gonna internalize some of that messaging. And of course you're you're gonna feel not great about the, the world you're currently living in. Let me go to caller Eric in San Bernardino. Hi, Eric, join us, you're on. Hi, how are you doing? Well, thank I'm you. I'm doing What's good. On your mind? Good. Um, I, I worked for the San Bernardino, City, San Bernardino City Unified School District as a teacher, and I will say that their policy was that kind of don't ask, don't tell. I mean, you weren't supposed to out anybody. And the students that I knew that were transgender really enjoyed school. They were able to talk, raise their hand in class, state their opinions, and they they felt safe. And the other students accepted them very well. Um, so... My and I also have a transgender son, and my point being that if I found out that my son was transgender, my first question would not be, why didn't they tell me? My first question would be, is he safe? How does he feel? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about me. It's about my, about my child. So um, that being said, I'll, 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 I'll hang up after this question. Um, as a retired teacher, I'm looking for something to do with my time. I'm looking for somewhere I can volunteer with transgender students, not necessarily in school, but in the community. If, if you guys have any um, links or information on that, I would hmm. appreciate it. But uh, I just want to say that, uh, as I said, in San Bernardino, there is no outing policy, and the students feel very safe at school. Well, Eric, so. thank, thank you for the call. Uh, Jordan, I guess I'll, I'll turn that to you as you cover the Inland Valley. Are there groups or resources that Eric might reach out to? Um, I don't know of any off the top of my head. I know there's a nonprofit called Our Schools USA that works to provide an equal education, equal educational opportunities for students. So I would start there or maybe PFLAG uh, also works in Southern California. Thanks, Jordan. Let me go next to caller Winston in Oakland. Hi, Winston. You're on. Hey, you know... Can we just acknowledge that the basically the reason we're talking about this is that certain politicians have nothing better to do than use trans people as a beacon of hatred for their base. I mean, Republicans are literally trying to make trans people go away, hide, be scared, and basically cease to exist. And it seems to be a large part of their political platform at this point. They seem to be very efficient at passing this legislation. Mm. And, you know, we have an election coming up. I mean, what else, what else are they even doing with their time other, other than, like, lying about trans people and calling them groomers? I mean, and they they won't even... They're 
super quiet about you know the the systemic problem that arises when you put a kid in a room with a clergyman okay well right. thank you winston um I want to take your point to Carolyn. Carolyn, you have been reporting on how this effort um, to get parental notification policies voted on by school boards in more conservative local school districts actually mirrors a statewide bill that's currently stalled in the legislature. Can you tell us about that? I understand it was proposed by Assemblymember Bill Asaley, a Republican from Riverside. That's correct. That bill was proposed earlier this year and it stalled and it would have done essentially the same thing that the Chino policy has done. Um, when that bill stalled, he said, well, this the fight is not over. Um, you know, the Democratic controlled legislature and the governor won't, you know, let this bill go forward. So we're going to go around them and I'm going to go directly to school boards. So he, you know, and also some, um, you know, conservative groups have been approaching school boards directly and you know, trying to, you know, persuade them to pass these policies. And he's been pretty successful so far. I think there's six so far that have adopted this, and there's probably going to be more to come, I imagine, as we head into an election year. And I want to bring Nicole Carr into the conversation, Atlanta-based investigative reporter for ProPublica. Nicole, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me. I want to bring you in because I know that you have been taking a closer look at this effort uh, for school boards and school districts to be the place, sort of a starting point for trying to introduce policies that are specifically aimed at LGBTQ youth. So California is not an anomaly when it comes to school boards starting to adopt these policies. What can you tell us about what you've seen nationally around these efforts? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's bouncing off of this this point that you all just made about the ways in which bills have or proposals have mirrored school board policy. Uh, that's not by mistake. Uh, we are I just I'm in the middle of reporting a series called Chaos at the School Board, where we tracked arrest and unrest at school boards across the country. Um, in our first chapter of that, we take a closer look at a community uh, in Arkansas. Uh, just north of Little Rock. And we see how the unrest over um, trans bathroom policy at the, the school board level quickly morphed into state law um, soon after these student protesters were arrested at the school board. Um, I have, over the past two years, uh, been very in tune to parental rights training videos, uh, the ways in which folks are um, provided uh, material that uh, informs the way they approach the school board, how they start to run for the actual school board, and how um, they the messaging uh, is very similar to to what you hear in the state ledge during the next session. It's because uh, the folks work together. Um, <laughs> it is a, there's a direct line between uh, the parental rights movement and the conservative legislatures across the country. So yeah, it is hmm. uh, very much by design. And Carolyn Jones, you have been talking with education policy experts and so on. Do they say that there is likely a playbook like what Nicole is describing and that we will see more of these beyond the six we've seen so far? Oh, yeah, I think there's no question. There's definitely a playbook. And this is definitely part of a concerted strategic effort to 
um, push forward these policies at the school board level. School boards for a long time were sort of neglected. <laughs> no one paid much attention to them. And in the past few years, I think, you know, political activists on uh, both sides um, have recognized this and said, hey, you know, this is really some place where there's an opening where we can get in there. I mean, school boards are, you know, you reach parents that way and communities and, and children. I mean, it's kind of a it's, uh, you know, a very special group of people that you're engaging with there. So, yes, I think we can definitely expect to see more of this, especially as the demographics change in California and in certain areas, areas that used to be blue or red or now maybe a little bit more purple, which makes these issues um, more likely to get attention and get traction either way. And that's, I think, what um, what they're seeking. Well, my producer, Juan Carlos Lara, who produced this segment, also informed me that the Coalition for Parental Rights uh, put together a website to help other school districts like Chino Valley Unified introduce parental notification policies, and that the Coalition for Parental Rights, Nicole Carr, includes Protect Our Kids and Moms for Liberty. Are these groups also nationally known? Yeah, so... uh, in our reporting last year, as we were tracking um, some of the same trends, and we could talk about this later, perhaps, but what you saw with the anti-CRT legislation um, mirrors what we're seeing with um, the, the trans policies and legislation as well in terms of the organizational value. Um, but yeah, the groups start out, um, much, many of them were registered as local chapters in states uh, in the spring of 2021, which is the point in which we start tracking the unrest. Uh, if you go to your state attorney general site and you see uh, a, a local or state chapter of No Left Turn or Moms for Liberty or whatever, these nonprofits registered in state chapters in bulk in the spring of 2021 and went from there. And so this network uh, was built very quickly over about a six month period um, from that time. So yes, this sounds very familiar. And and then it forms this coalition that I believe Juan Carlos is talking about. Well, you know, Jordan, darling, you have attended some of the school board meetings now, and I think you commented on just how different they feel. Can you talk about what it's been like at the school board meetings when these policies, especially policies related to parental notification and so on, have been brought up? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So Chino Valley is where I have the bulk of my experience at school board meetings. And uh, specifically with these two policies, the meetings were back-to-back, the flag ban in June, where the parental notification policy was initially introduced. Flag ban? uh, Yes. uh, Chino Valley uh, implemented a ban on flags in classrooms. Uh, They changed one of their policies, so classrooms can only have the American flag and flags representing uh, U.S. military groups, unless they have a special permission from the principal or the superintendent. So you mean they banned rainbow flags or something like that? Yes, ma'am. Anything that did not fall under our country's flag or a military flag was banned. Uh, And specifically, the the most controversial part was it did ban, they did ban LGBTQ flags from classrooms. I see. And so how, how have these meetings been, the tenor of these meetings? Sorry to interrupt you there. Oh, no, uh, not a problem. They're very contentious. Uh, I've been particularly 
I'm, I'm going to say lucky. I know a lot of my colleagues have covered school board meetings where it's gotten violent. Uh, so far, Chino Valley hasn't experienced any violence, but it is a very tense room to be in, and it's very split down the middle. You're entering a space where half of where things are very, very split down the middle, and they're not seeing the same side. There's a lot of yelling, a lot. It draws, I think we've had about 150 people at these meetings. And they, the public comment will last about three hours. So, Jordan, I've heard and read, I think even in Carolyn's reporting in your own, people say that ultimately everybody is really interested in what's best for the kids, whether they fall on one side of this or the other. Do you think that's true? Well, I, you know, I can't really say. I mean, I, I can't, you know, say how sincere people are if they have ulterior motives. I mean, I think all parents, most parents anyway, are, are concerned about their kids. Um, I think things are so polarized right now that even the word concern <laughs> could be interpreted differently by different people. So, hmm. Well, we are talking with Carolyn Jones, K-12 education reporter for Cal Matters, Jordan Darling, a city reporter for the Inland Valley Daily Bulletin, Robert Marks, assistant professor of child and adolescent development at San Jose State University, and Nicole Carr, Atlanta-based investigative reporter for ProPublica. And you, our listeners, are joining the conversation with your thoughts and questions and comments. Noel on Discord writes, I am not a parent, so I can't relate to parents being alarmed about their kids' gender identity. Is this a response to feeling unease about their place in a rapidly changing society? Ruth writes, if the child feels safe at home, the parents will already know. This is going to be a death sentence for someone. This meaning the parental notification policy, which is what we are talking about and a recent wave of these policies in California school districts and the prediction that we will see more. Are you trans or gender nonconforming and want to share your reaction to this? Do you have questions about parental notification policies or what else may be aimed at LGBTQ youth in public schools or in California? Have you seen pushes for similar policies at your local school district? Stay with us for more with Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, Tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're looking at the fight between California, the state, and local districts over this parental notification policy. We're also talking about a broader movement to pass policies like this at the school district level. And we're joined by Nicole Carr of ProPublica, Robert Marks, their assistant professor of child and adolescent development at San Jose State. Jordan Darling is a city reporter at Inland Valley Daily Bulletin. Carolyn Jones, she's K-12 education reporter for Cal Matters. And uh, 
I want to just talk a little bit now about this controversy between the state and local school districts, because I am curious, Carolyn, what power does the state have to reel in school boards, especially given the fact that I know, you know, in relatively recent years, more power, more leeway to determine policies for their student population has been given to local districts. That's right. California has had a local control for about 10 years now, which means that school boards have quite a bit of autonomy when it comes to deciding how to enact policies and spend money and so forth. Um, the thinking behind it is that, you know, what works in L.A. might not work in MODOC, for example. So and it's for the most part, it's been successful. But then when issues like this come up where the state says, hey, you know, you're in violation of state law, you're discriminating against certain groups of students, you're violating students' privacy, then the state more recently is starting to step in as we see these issues crop up, whether it's the LGBT thing in Chino or it's a, the book ban in Temecula. The state has a few recourses. You know, one, they can um, file a lawsuit, which is what Rob Bonta did last month against Chino. Um, they can um, enact sanctions or fines, uh, like Governor Gavin Newsom threatened to do in Temecula. He said he would supply these textbooks himself to the students and then build the district for it. They can publicly call out these districts, you know, you know, kind of shame them into doing, you know, changing course. Um, or they can, the state can launch a civil rights investigation, which Bonta has also done with Chino. So there's a, there's a few avenues. Well, Jordan Darling, what has been Chino's reaction, Chino Valley School Board members' reaction to the state lawsuit, the Superior Court, you know, injunction temporarily? Are they backing down or are they saying bring it on? Yeah, uh, I got to speak to Sonia Shaw the day the injunction was actually uh, Sonia Shaw, the school board president. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Sonia Shaw, the school board president for uh, CVSD. And she, to my understanding, she's not backing down. I don't think the school board, specifically Chino or any of the school boards that are promoting this policy and passing it are going to back down from this fight. Uh, Specifically when I, when I talked to Shaw, she said that this is just the beginning well, let me go to caller Jerome in St. Helena. Hi, Jerome. You're on. Oh, good morning. Can you hear me? Again, go right ahead. So I'm a, a traveling pediatrician. I work both in the hospital and clinic. And so my kind of comment slash question is, in California, as far as medical legal and confidentiality, after age 12, uh, the pediatric patient has confidentiality. And when Orange County passed their version of this, they actually noted 12 and under. So I wanted to, and so since there is a confidentiality rule in California, and this would be violating that if it's over age 12, I wonder if the panel can talk about the age limits that has been set at other schools that this has been passed. Mm, Interesting. Robert Marks, do you have any thoughts on that in terms of um, sort of the 12-year cutoff? Well, I think... It's important to recognize that most of the people who are behind these kind of quote unquote parental notification acts aren't particularly concerned with the science uh, or concerned with kind of confidentiality in any way. So it feels like in some ways we might be talking a little bit at cross purposes. Uh, we know that that children as young and two and three as as young as two and three years old have a sense of their gender identity and the the their gender identity's congruence with 
kind of their sex assigned at birth or the sex that that people kind of see them as. Uh, and so we know that kids are thinking about and talking about their gender much younger than 12. Uh, but I, again, I, I don't think that these parental notification proponents are particularly interested in kind of understanding how gender development works for young people or, or what these age cutoffs should be. Well, this listener who is a proponent says, if public school employees do not really think the family is threatening enough to warrant making a child protection report, then they should not keep parents in the dark about important matters concerning the children. What do you think about that, Robert? Uh, I think that puts teachers in a very, very risky untenable situation where they are being asked to determine the temperature at home around gender and sexuality, something that these teachers likely cannot know and are going to use their best judgment to determine whether they should forcibly out a child. Uh, And I think we just keep cycling back to the crux of this conversation, which is teachers, schools, schools, counselors, administrators shouldn't be forcibly outing children. It's bad for children. It's bad for schools. Uh, and so I think we, I don't want to live in a world where whether a kid is forcibly outed or not is reliant on a teacher thinking like, oh, maybe their parents actually are okay with this. Like that doesn't feel to me like the standard that we should be using. Let me go to Rebecca in Richmond. Hi, Rebecca, you're on. Hi. Um, so I'm a parent of a transgender son who just graduated high school. Um, he didn't come out until he was 16. And for the about four years leading up to then, um, I had it was not on my radar at all. But he had horrific mental health struggles, eating disorder, self-harm, suicide ideation, in and out of residential care. Just so many things were looking at this. My first blush is, wow, if I if anybody would have known that my child was questioning his gender and could have told me and I could have just wrapped my arms around him and got him all the treatment that he needed, that could have been so helpful. Well, maybe we could have gotten ahead of all this mental health struggle. So even with all of that, even with me thinking that would have really been helpful for me, I'm still against it <laughs> because sadly I don't. I know that not every parent has that reaction. Um, so huh. I just want to say that, like, even even as a, a loving, wonderfully supportive, just, yay, I have a son, <laughs> a parent, um, I, I still don't think it that, the, the, that we should be forcibly outing kids. As, mm-hmm. as helpful as it would have been for me as a parent, it could put other kids in jeopardy. So. Well, Rebecca, thank you. Uh, let me go next to caller Monica in San Francisco. Hi, Monica, you're on. Good morning. Hi. Yeah, I have a child who um, was uh, identified themselves as trans um, when they were in middle and high school. Um, and I think a lot of this discussion is kind of disingenuous um, because you know, it's unfortunate that the right wing and the conservatives have taken over with their dramatics and their hysterics and their draconian policies. But the vast majority of Americans um, are not transphobic. They're not uh, afraid of trans people, but they are very, very concerned about um, what our beliefs and attitudes are and policies are about trans 
uh, about children and gender and the approaches being taken. Um, and while I think you know children's privacy should be observed in schools, um, and 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 to the point of the the pediatrician, there's a 12-year um, cutoff, uh, you know, parental notification. Um, we know that actually children have a complicated um, relationship to gender and applying adult ideas of gender to um, children as they're fo- unfolding um, is, is, is problematic. And most Americans agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are um, uh, organizations and large groups of liberal San Franciscans, liberal parents, Democrat parents who completely are concerned by these things that are being um, this the standard of care that is being applied kind of um, broadly without nuance to different children and different children's psychological health um, and it's being applied uh, broadly uh, you know all one size fits all Hmm. so I think a lot of this reaction is coming from that Um, my child has complicated mental health history um, and folks who think they're helping have been just adding and, you know, multiple, if a child is getting care in one place, they're getting multiple input from all these other places and it can create a lot of confusion. Oh, well, um, Monica, no, can I just say one thing? No, quickly, um, yes. We're all coming up on the break. Yep. Sure. There's an organization called Our Duty, which is founded by a Democrat, a lawyer, and she advocates for reasonable policies to protect um our children and and the family because the family is the center of a child's well-being and good therapy means bringing the family in good mental health services means bringing the family in and, and working with parents and 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 the family system monica thank you and so robert i'd love to get your reaction to what monica was saying and and we are just a minute before i have to do a station id but if you have some thoughts I have tons and tons of thoughts. I think what is kind of baked into Monica's response is true. Uh, there are Democrats and Republicans alike who have twisted their minds into thinking that what protecting kids means is protecting kids from being trans. And our duty is a international hate-based group uh, that is focused on protecting children from quote unquote gender ideology, uh, which is basically a nonsensical statement. And we don't have much more time than that. I'm sorry. We are talking about parental notification policies that are being passed at school boards, a growing number of them in California. We're at at least six at this point and hearing about what the impact is of those policies. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Rosemarie writes, there are various extremes that come into play here from students questioning their identity in private journals read by a teacher or advisor to students that have publicly changed their names and pronouns in the classroom. Are these school districts expecting teachers to reveal the private discussions or situations where the student has come out, quote, come out publicly within the classroom or something in the middle? Um, Is there any clarification around that, Carolyn Jones, or is this still another question that needs to be answered with regard to implementation? Well, right now, yes. I mean, in Chino, well, there's an injunction stopping this from happening in Chino right now. But the policy does say that teachers, uh, any school staff, you know, they have three days to notify parents if they discover that a child is identifying with a as a gender that's different than what's on their official school records. So yes, it's it's pretty explicit. Yeah, teachers have three days to, to do this. 
And what effect does the temporary restraining order or what effect do you see it having, if at all, against Chino Valley on other districts that are putting these measures in place even after the state has sued the district? Well, as as someone said earlier, yeah, people are undaunted. I, I haven't talked to anyone who says, oh, yeah, we're backing down. <laughs> um, I think that they're actually invigorated by the fight. And, I, I, you know, it's more headlines, it's more attention, it's more publicity, you know, as we head into this kind of contentious election season. Um, and it does seem to have some kind of political traction. I, and they're hoping to elevate this up to higher courts, for sure. We can expect to see that. So, um, no, I don't, I don't see any change from the other districts. In fact, I see them in energized. And I understand that there are some efforts to try to put parental notification policies on the ballot. Can you talk about that a little bit, Carolyn? That's right. Um, around the same time that this all happened, um, a, a parent group uh, came up with these three ballot initiatives that they're gathering signatures for right now. They have, I think, about six months. And they would, the ballot initiatives, one would make this a state law, um, you know, the Chino policy, make it statewide. Um, Another thing would um, uh, prevent, you know, students of other, you know, like girls teams or for cisgender girls, for example. And then the third one would outlaw um, gender reassignment, so, you know, hormone or surgery, hormone therapy or surgery for young people who wanted to go through a transition. So those are all headed to the ballot. And, and similarly, it's an attempt to kind of circumvent the legislature and the governor and go directly to voters. Hmm. Well, Henry from Sonoma is a proponent of parental notification and says, I think this conversation is biased. I'm a parent who's in favor of the policy. I want to know what my kids are up to, and I think we deserve to be informed. Pat writes, I'm a parent and find it impossible to reconcile this in simple black or white. Is the parent or the school raising the child? Instead of trying to force it one way or the other, it might be more productive to talk about how to bridge the gap. For example, the role of the school's counselor who is trained to get the kids and their parents to talk about this in the safest possible way, excluding either the parent or the school, is not a solution that will work for the child. And uh, Noel G on Discord writes, Moms for Liberty is behind book bans. Reasonable parents need to start a movement of their own to counter these right-wingers. The Sonol School Board will vote on whether to ban any flags other than the U.S. or California flags. Nicole Carr, I'm so curious, based on you know your reporting on this nationwide, where you see th- these very contentious fights nationally going or or sort of what impact you see this potentially having? Sure. I mean, it was just mentioned here that these fights, um, you know, folks are ready to go to higher courts. um, And that is, you know, absolutely true. I was just um, listening for an upcoming story to, uh, again, another parental rights training um, video uh, for for some upcoming reporting. and, And that was mentioned in in the goals, uh, ways to circumvent the state legislature, um, as was mentioned, to go straight to the voters. Um, I've looked at some places that want to, um, you know, have appointed uh, school boards rather than elected school boards. So, I mean, it's there um, are a ton of directions this can go in and all, all of these arguments across the, the board, if, if, if you want to lump them into this this thing of uh, so-called culture wars, um, all of these arguments are, are really um, 
they're political, they're led by often in the communities uh, by population, a minority group, a very strong, organized, um, well-funded minority driving uh, large-scale policies and really providing the framework for um, school choice and vouchers and how we fund public education. <laughs> so, I mean, it, there, there are a lot of, um, it's not just a fight at the school board. It's not just a single school district. It is really helping to define what public education in this this country will look like um, over the next whatever. Do, you, do you see as organized an opposition to these groups, Nicole? No, and Juan Carlos and I spoke about this on Friday. I, I think by the time people um, came to realize how organized groups were, how well-funded um, in, in school board elections, in, in, in these on-the-ground state chapters and all of this, that that the opposition was a little late in uh, organizing <laughs> and realizing what was happening. I mean, if we take all of this back to spring of 2021, you could have said, oh, these are just concerned parents about um, over masking in schools, when these arguments about CRT, uh, library book bans, um, uh, DISEL were all baked into those arguments at the at one time. I don't think there was widespread recognition of a singular movement, you know. Mm -hmm. And and that that is important. Robert had mentioned earlier. Um, one of the the key points missing from the conversation is the effect, the psychological effect that um, policies, whether they're put in place or they're just argued at the school board level, like what impact any of this has on the students themselves. Uh, the Department of Ed has, has said that about book bans as well. So, yeah. you know, it's all similar. Well, that was and is the goal uh, for all of us to keep in mind. Nicole Carr, thank you. Robert Marks, thank you. Jordan Darling, appreciate having you on. And Carolyn Jones, appreciate your reporting as well. Appreciate our listeners for sharing how they feel about this. All, all views and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. This is Barbara Leslie, President of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way, from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country... 
on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts.